Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So was President Trump in the wrong? Says of Emmanuel Macron, how dare you? How dare you say that Europe should have a a military force to take on threats of China and Russia and the United States? Or was Emmanuel, was, was, you know, to be assaulted by that? Or, Or does Macron have a point? Is Macron saying that, you know, the key here to our future is being able to protect ourselves? Now, I'm a man with a thesis. And that thesis is, is that what Emmanuel Macron said was so disgusting that it can't properly be quantified. And that the press was so incredibly silent about it isn't because they were trying to protect Emmanuel Macron, although maybe they were, but rather they have such a lack of institutional knowledge that they didn't actually know what it is they heard. Me, I like to know what it is I'm hearing. Let me bring in, by the way, I'm Tony Katz. How you doing? Maybe I should say hello first. Hey, 833-GOT-TONY is the number, 833-468-8669. Major Mike Lyons, CBS News Radio military analyst, of course, West Point uh, uh, and the War Institute, knows a a little bit about uh, war history. Let me give you the comment that Emmanuel Macron made. Uh, He's very upset with the United States about their decision uh, to withdraw from a uh, a treaty with Russia that talks about the creation of uh, intermediate-range nuclear missiles. He said, and I'm quoting here, I believe in the project of a sovereign Europe. We won't protect uh, uh, Europe if we don't decide to have a true European army. We have to have a Europe that can defend itself alone and without only relying on the United States in a more sovereign manner. We should protect ourselves when it comes to China, Russia, and even the United States of America. You hear that, a military man, uh, Major Lyons. What say you? Hey, Tony, great to be back with you. Uh, yeah, it, it, it doesn't show a great appreciation for, for history uh, of uh, the French president has here. And, you know, everyone is trying to figure out these analogies for, for today. And we're back in history today compared to. And, and, and given what's happened in, in World War I, 100 years since the end of that armistice, we're trying to pin a lot of it to that. And maybe that's what he was talking about, but um, you know, this, this is not the end of World War One. It's not the same conditions whatsoever, and there's just not an alignment between the reality of the French military and its capability. Um, you know, the the bottom line is this: Donald Trump is exactly right about these European countries that have fundamentally disarmed. Now, you can argue that you know NATO has always been designed to to keep the Germans in check, to keep the Russians out, and to keep America inside of of uh, Europe in that regard. But these other countries, uh, most NATO countries, don't pay that two percent to their defense. And you know, the, the president does mix that up every once in a while. It's not that they're writing a check to the U.S. for their security, but they're just not taking the responsibility. And for for the French president to say that all of a sudden that the European countries are going to get together and pony up money is irresponsible on so many levels. Now you just brought up something. It's a terminology that I had never heard before. Uh, to to have thought about it, very very well possible. But I had never once heard uh, this this uh, uh, conversation before that, for example, part of the purpose of, let's say, NATO mm-hmm. is to keep Germany down, Russia out, and the, U- the United States in. 
I had never heard of that uh, before. I never heard it phrased in that way. And I read a piece over at The Federalist uh, that mm-hmm. I had actually sent you and said, hey, what did, what did you think of this? Yeah. Macron's call for a European army is, obvi- is an obvious bluff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to that end, is there a, a, a historical piece here? Mm-hmm. that we're all missing, that if Europe really wanted to go about this, not having their own individual armies, but actually mm-hmm. trying to create some kind of European force, is there a history that goes along with its imminent failure? Yeah, you go back to um, what well, one country would still would try to dominate. Um, each of the different countries, if you go back 100 years, had different uh, capabilities. The Germans thought that they were going to dominate, which is why they really preemptively started uh, World War One, which led to the Treaty of Versailles at the end of it, which is when they were punished for because they were re- held responsible for it. Um, you've got a maritime aspect of it that the British would be conv- involved with, but now with the British out of the of the EU, um, now they're not going to participate in any any kind of land army that'll exist there or any kind of military that, that would happen. And then lastly, this military would have to be joint and combined with air, land, and sea, um, and and some of those countries don't have all those capabilities. So. There are just so many um, missteps. It's uh, Macron is almost it's beer from the bleachers on so on so many levels that, that, to throw that that out there, thinking that it's even a rational concept. And the, and the world is different. Russia is no longer the threat it once was uh, following the end of the Second World War, and I don't think Germany to try to come back and to even have any kind of military that's going to matter. Well, the problem is uh, a, a history should frighten anybody. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, CBS News radio military analyst. So we have this this understanding of, of the very concept of what Macron is discussing. He must understand, he must know, has no uh, ability to fly and has a historical uh, perspective of also not being able to work because one nation will want to be in charge, maybe just the natural of order of things. And it was Lord Ismay. Uh, Ismay, is that his name? That, yeah, exactly, that they were yep. referring mm-hmm. to uh, in that Lord Ismay said yep. that the purpose of NATO was to keep the Germans down, Russia out, and, and the Americans in. Now, part of that has to, really pushes you towards the idea that we talk often about uh, hegemony in areas and how you know you have this fight between Turkey and Iran, basically, and Saudi Arabia all looking to have control, hegemony, of an area. You take a look at what China's doing with the South China Sea, the Yellow Sea, the Spralty Islands, the increasing of their, of their naval capabilities to have hegemony uh, in the Pacific Rim, total control of those areas and those shipping lanes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it is American hegemony that has kept Europe safe and has kept Russia at bay. Mm-hmm. Is there a real threat of that going away? I, I don't think so. I think the president recognizes the importance of uh, the, the American uh, presence in each of these locations uh, in the Middle East, in uh, in the Pacific as well. And it's always a preemptive strike. And so the the you know let's say our enemies, the Chinese, for example, let's say the Chinese decide to preemptively go after some of uh, our allies in the Pacific, um, I, you'll see an American response. I just don't think the Chinese have the military yet to do something like that. You look in the Middle East, and um, Turkey as a member of NATO is somewhat restrained as of right now. Um, but Iran would be foolish enough to start something there because the Israelis would not put up with it for, for 10 seconds. And, and given that once the, the Iranians come up with some kind of nuclear capability, that then that's going to start it there as well. So 
you know, again, we're looking for those analogies in history. I think the United States will continue to be that that over uh, site in all these locations to make sure that these preemptive wars don't start. Because that's really what starts the that's what starts them is one country thinks that they're bigger than everybody else and they decide to to you know roll tanks. When you take a look at how President Trump uh, smacked back, I mean, how else to describe what yeah. the man. What the man uh, does, the tweet said, Emmanuel Macron suggests building its own army to protect Europe against the United States, China, and Russia. But it was Germany in World Wars One and Two. How did that work out for France? They were starting yeah. to learn German in Paris before the U.S. came along. Yeah. Pay for NATO or, or not. And then he followed it up with, make France great again. How does this back and forth uh, here in the, in, in the basically in the shadows of the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One? How does this play in France, and how do you think this plays in the U.S.? Yeah, unfortunately, um, Macron has got low ratings there, bad approval ratings, and he's maybe trying to, um, uh, you know, look towards his, uh, you know, internal uh, uh, problems there and some of the politicians, um, it, because it, it's like 19. It's actually not like um, 1918. There, it's more like 1940 in, in spring when. The French build the Maginot Line, thought that they're the greatest military in the world, and the Germans ran through it like nothing, like it wasn't there, like knife through a butter. And so I, I think um, you know, his just not appreciation of history, coupled with the president basically saying, look, you're not even close to the reality of this. You couldn't put this together if you'd wanted to. Um, the French, you know, someone's alignment between their capability and their actual capability is always, to me, you know how well they're kind of squared away in things, and how and and what their emotional intelligence is, and it's right now it doesn't show a lot uh, on the leader of the French side. Well, how do you really feel, Mike? <laughs> I mean, my goodness, great. Um, does anything come of this? I mean, is there a, uh, you know, with with President Trump always, you know, people get this this little bit of scuff, this little bit of bad blood, and everything goes back uh, to to the way it was. Does something like this give uh, a Vladimir Putin a chance to reach out to France? Does it give uh, somebody else like an Erdogan uh, to reach out to France? Does it create opportunities for President Xi uh, there in, in China? Or does everybody know that, hey, the, all politics are local. This is not a fracas that's going to change the relationship. It's still strong as ever, and it'll still be a problem for the three people I just mentioned. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I don't see um, any of those other countries moving into France and making – the same kind of deal that, for example, that the Russians made with the Germans for energy. I mean, that's a strategic resource that the Germans have outsourced to to NATO. To their enemy. To, to the, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, without under the under the radar, no one talks about it. It's one of those things. It, it's just incredible to me. So I, I don't think you'll see that. It, and and you do have this history between the United States and France. It was our number one and our first ally going back to the Revolutionary War days. And it's one of those things where we know what they're like. We know how it's going to work. We know what they're, they're very predictable. Um, you know, here's France that left NATO back in uh, the 60s and 70s for a while, got out of the military aspect of it, which knew it could because they didn't want to pay for it, and the U.S. nuclear umbrella would protect it. So, um, so I think it'll continue to, to kind of stagger along in a dysfunctional manner. It's just going to get down to which politician survives it, whether um, the, the Macron, you know, his his people survive inside of France and from a political perspective, because his number one ally in Europe now, uh, Angela Merkel now, her, she's politically dead based on uh, her, her resigning. She'll be out soon. Uh, that didn't work out well in Germany for her, so we'll see what happens on the French. Before I let you go, an unrelated question but related, because the president's there. 
And a lot was made in the American press about him not going to the cemetery because of the rain and the helicopter couldn't get there. They didn't want to drive for disrupting people and, and the Secret Service not feeling good about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You're a West Point guy, a War Institute guy. Uh, you, you look at that. Do you think the president insulted uh, the, the American soldier? I don't, and it's because I, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm hard to be offended by anything. I think these decisions get made for real reasons. Um, it was a security nightmare. If, if the helicopter couldn't go, I get it. There's an alternate way that they always have to plan for. Um, but uh, we don't know what the situation was, if there were threats on the ground. It was a three-hour march on the road there. Um, I don't know if there was enough Secret Service agents. Who knows? But there was a reason. I don't perceive this president as being disre- disrespectful to soldiers. He definitely has uh, this, this affection for the military as well. Um, it just I don't, I don't see it that way, but of course uh, his critics are always going to see it that way. Major Mike Lyons, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. You make it difficult. You make it difficult on the Twitter box. M-A-J for Major Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, on Twitter, CBS News Radio Military uh, Analyst. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Much more to get into, including James Woods and Alyssa Milano. And I think somebody wants some help. I'm Tony Katz. So the wildfires continue to rage in California. Yet there's a cooling on Twitter. Tony Katz today. I'm Tony Katz. 833-GOT-TONY's the number. 833-468-8669. And it's that James Woods, the actor, he has been utilizing his Twitter account. And if you don't know James Woods on, on Twitter, James Woods is a conservative and is brutal. Eats people for lunch on the Twitter box. It's, he's not just popular because, oh, he's an actor and he's a conservative. Oh, he's very good at this. Some people were built to tweet. I'm not one of those people. He tweets. Well, he has said, listen, I've, I've got no time for, uh, you know, going after people. There's real issues here in California. People's houses are being destroyed. Lives are at risk. I'm using my Twitter account as a place for people to uh, connect. And so you can go on my Twitter account and be able to find information about where to help people, where to do things. So that's what he's been doing with this Twitter account. And recently, it was I think it was just, just the other day, just yesterday, the day before. No, no, so it was before the weekend. Sorry, because I was away in New York. I'm a little still lost on time. He said, hey, listen, uh, Alyssa Milano needs to rescue her horses. Alyssa Milano has horses. People have horses. Alyssa Milano. A well-known leftist activist and, of course, actress. She was there for the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, She's never met a gun that she ever liked, nor a person who owns a gun that she ever liked. She's always been just uh, outstandingly and horrifically brutal on the subject. She wasn't able to get her horses out. She needs to get her horses out. James Woods starts putting out on Twitter, if anybody can help her, help her get her horses out. Please contact her, Alyssa Milano, to get the location, or to use my hashtag, SoCalFiresJamesWoods, this is a serious request. And somebody r- wrote to him and said, why would anybody want to help Alyssa Milano? To which James Wood responded, because her animals are endangered, she needs help. There comes a moment where you stop being a political psychopath 
and you say to yourself, wait a second, the horsey didn't do anything wrong. Let's go help the horsey. Alyssa Milano saying horses are finally safe. My children are safe. My home is in jeopardy, but everything with a heartbeat is safe. Thank you all for your concern. To those who insisted on still being hurtful because our political affiliation is different, you are what is wrong with the country. Thank you, Mr. Woods. Appreciate what you're doing with your feed. Here's, don't, there, 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 there's no doubt uh, that I, I believe uh, truly that she's appreciative. But what if I were to add this story onto the story of Congressman-elect Dan Crenshaw and what happened on Saturday Night Live? You know, some people said, oh, he never should have gone on. That show's not funny. You take the opportunity to create other opportunities. It's not even about taking a high ground or a high road. To show that there is humanity is valuable. When people want to say nice things about Ben Shapiro, they got vilified on social media. How dare you take someone like that and humanize them? Everything about Trump is preventing he can't be seen as human. Well, listen, I disagree with Alyssa Milano on a series of subjects. I don't think our horses have to come in between it, right? This isn't the godfather, right? No one is going to do a full cartoon moment, moment uh, on these horses. I think there is opportunity. Maybe Alyssa Milano sees this and says, okay, wait a second. I disagree with people on things, but maybe they're not evil people. So now Dan Crenshaw and Pete Davidson, that Pete Davidson's a celebrity, please, it boggles the mind, but he is. But he is. It's the way it goes. What are you going to do? What happens? All right? Um... He, he, is, he is what he is. Maybe they start having a little bit of that conversation. Alyssa Milano starts having a little bit of that conversation. That conversation is healthy. One of the biggest problems, there was a, a, a bit of polling that was done, and uh, Demo- 61% of Democrats see Republicans as racist. Do you know how absolutely ignorant that is? Do you know how criminally insane that is? 61% uh, see them as racist? That's criminally insane. You'd only change that by talking to people and people realizing, oh, no, 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 that's that's just a talking point. Here's what I know about them for real. There's some value in that. Overheard. Here's Brian. Post-election, the Democrats have the work of the American people on their mind, doing the things that affect the life of the individual and make your life better, like pissing away your tax dollars with a total of 85 probes into President Donald Trump. We are not scattershot. Uh, we are not doing uh, any investigation for a political purpose. What's that? Uh, we are not doing uh, any investigation for a political purpose. <laughs> but to seek the truth. So I think a word that you could describe about how Democrats will go forward in this regard is we will be very strategic. Yeah, that's two words, Nance. Good on you. Fox News talked Democrats' plans to spend the next two years on pointless investigations Monday night. Axios reporting today that Democrats are readying a subpoena cannon, kind of like the one that shoots T-shirts into crowds at the games. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) All around, there's one for everybody. Sounds dangerous. Can those be modified to go full auto? And the list, when you look at it, 
I mean, it really covers pretty much everything and everyone in President Trump's life. Look, look at this list. There's 85 things on here. Well, have at it, kids. Trump's a fighter, and we all witnessed firsthand how you handled the Kavanaugh investigation. It's just what you do. As we say on the streets, liberals gonna lib, yo. Hey, have you heard of a political commentator by the name of Tara Setmeyer? No? Did you know she's on CNN? No? Did you know she also has a podcast? No. Well, here's the deal. She talks about Donald Trump, and she also talks about hating Donald Trump. And then she throws in the occasional provocative sexual comment, which allows her to be relevant with the hip young folk. Here's a sample of what Tara said to all of her subscribers on her most recent podcast. The right of the free press and the role is not to be a lapdog to the president of the United States. It's not to make the president, you know, feel good about himself like Fox News does, okay? Fox News the president off every single day. It is political masturbation on that channel. That's right, I said it. Oh man, she's edgy. I just, I feel naughty listening. I feel naughty. Like afterwards I need to take a shower and go to confession naughty. But it's like a compulsion, you know? I, I can't help it. You understand, it's like I don't want to listen. I know I shouldn't listen, so I don't. And finally, get your sick buckets ready. Hillary Clinton will be running for president in 2020, according to a former advisor and a top Democrat in New York. <laughs> Mark Penn, a pollster and senior advisor to former President Bill Clinton and ex-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton from 1995 to 2008, and Andrew Stein, a former Manhattan Democratic Party figure and New York City Council president, wrote Sunday in a Wall Street Journal opinion piece that Mrs. Clinton has come abound. Quote, she will not allow this humiliating loss at the hands of an amateur to end the story of her career. Well, look, she's not done yet. You know, you gotta respect that. I mean, she's been at this for 40 years. Give her a hand for that at the very least. That is one hell of a crime spree. I'm Brian Baker. Come on, bark like a dog. Have a great day. Producer Brian Baker, thank you. We've got planes that are crashing. Again, another look at our military is necessary. And Griff Jenkins from Fox News, he's got the latest on the Florida recounts coming up. Keep it here. The recounts continue in Florida, and there's a difference between the recounts and the theft or attempted theft of the election. I don't mind saying that. I think it seems pretty obvious to so many people that there have been things done that are simply indecent in this race. People like Senator Bill Nelson and the Democratic Party saying that votes from people they know are in their country illegally, was it illegal? They, 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 they should be counted? There was that push? Then there was the recognition that Brenda Snipes, who runs uh, the election center there, Broward County, she has a history of corruption. Yes, I understand that she was uh, put into position by then-Governor Jeb Bush. I am fully aware of this. But what I'm also aware of is that there are a fair amount of people who have not told the truth about who Brenda Snipes is. And we should also point out that Brenda Snipes in Broward County is a Republican appointed by former governor, then Governor Jeb Bush. She's not a Republican. And we're talking about incompetence here, right? 
But there's a difference between the very idea of a recount and the very idea of fraud. These are two very different things. Griff Jenkins of Fox News, he is down in Florida. They put him in, in the in the in the scene in in the sites of like the biggest calamities. They put him there in the middle of the caravan in Mexico. They put him there uh, on the front lines of hurricanes and now they put him in Broward County for a recount. This is no way to treat you, sir. <laughs> Tony, how are you doing, man? I'm it's good. to join you from what is truly, yet again, 18 years later, a hot mess in Broward County, Florida. <laughs> so let's get to the to first the differential. There's a difference between the recount, which is mandated by the state, and then the conversations of whether or not there are some shenanigans with the election. These are two different subjects, right? Yeah, that's a great point to, to sort of clarify for your listeners. I mean, listen, the Broward County uh, Supervisor of Elections here, Dr. Brenda Snipes, has come under a lot of attack, accusations, and lawsuits from Governor Rick Scott because of her failure to comply with Florida law. Governor Jeb Bush, the man who put Snipes in that position in 2003, by the way, because her predecessor had been proven to have broken Florida law as well in an election, uh, is now calling, tweeting today that he wants her removed when the recount is over because there's no question in Jeb Bush's mind that Snipes has failed to comply wholly with uh, Florida's election law in this uh, situation. But nonetheless, the recount is underway right now. Just a few hours ago, they actually started to recount and tabulate the early votes, they separated all the votes, Tony, in three piles, early votes, election day votes, and mail-in votes. They still got to do some sorting and separation because they're only taking page one of the entire eight or nine page ballot because that only has the Senate governor and agriculture commissioner race that they need on there to run these recounts. So at least a third of the ballot, about 200,000 of them, are running right now. And from that recount, it's separating over and under votes, which may be used in a likely canned count, a manual recount that will come after Thursday. Thursday is the deadline for this recount. The results of that, should it be in two candidates, in this case Nelson and Scott, that really all, all eyes are on, it'll be this manual recount and that is when you will have the scores, dozens and dozens of volunteers, lawyers, and otherwise looking at these ballots trying to determine the intent of the voter just for those that don't know, an undervote means you didn't mark uh, a candidate. There's no marking. An overvote means you marked in a way that looks like it's you voted for more than one. And, of course, that's going to be sorted out. They say that number of the number of hand ballots you could be looking at uh, after Thursday is anywhere in the 30,000-plus range when I talk to lawyers here for Democrats and Republicans. At the end of the day, Sunday is the deadline to finish a manual recount should we get there, and then Monday, uh, the 20th, is the deadline for the official number to come out. It's worth pointing out that a lot of folks in the press, to include the uh, Miami Herald down here, did a piece saying that really in all of these recounts that we've had uh, over the last decade, very rarely does the margin of error exceed uh, a couple of hundred that's changed the recount outcome in this case. We're talking what looks like thousands, not hundreds, Johnny. Talking to Griff Jenkins of Fox News.
So right now the recount is machine recount. From there, we might have to move into a hand recount. The way you described it, we're totally moving into the hand recount. Just don't worry about the Thursday deadline. Grab some popcorn, a bottle of scotch, and wait. It certainly feels, and I'm comfortable in saying I think that's where we're headed, based on my conversations I've now for days been sitting uh, around the clock with the attorneys for both the Democrats and the Republicans, and really no one uh, is anticipating that it would not be a uh, hand recount because the simple fact that by law, under a quarter percentage point, the candidates are separated by less than a quarter quarter percentage point, then it, it automatically goes to the hand recount, and the, the differential has been so tight that uh, no one sees it really being a recount without, uh, you know, being that low of a separation. So, I mean, you know, it really is uh, grab your popcorn uh, and get ready for the hand recount, and, and you know, remember that guy with the magnifying glass looking at the hanging chat ballot. I mean, we're certainly going to have that. And what's really going to be interesting too is if you thought it was hectic now, wait until we get to the hand recount because, you know, now we've got machines in a room and a handful of lawyers on either side monitoring the machines. But when we get to that recount, you're talking about 50 plus tables, 30,000 votes have to be uh, counted by hand. And every single one is going to be under tremendous scrutiny. Uh, and that, uh, unfortunately, is uh, part of what uh, South Florida is now becoming known for. By the way, I should also point out the other counties, uh, Palm Beach County, uh, is trying to get that recount done. Uh, but regardless, they are likely to end up, uh, whatever they get, whatever amount they get recounted, will end up in a hand recount as well. Interestingly, 65 of Florida's 67 counties did get it right. They're either halfway done or better in the recount. But it's these two counties, Broward and Palm Beach, that really traditionally keep having problems for whatever reason. Which has led to the question of shenanigans. And before I let you go, I am not alleging fraud. I am I am one of those people questioning you find provisional ballots in a rental car. Yeah, there's a question of a truck in the chain of custody as uh, law professor uh, uh, John Eastman uh, has discussed. Has there been any real conversation about issues with this election and impropriety on behalf of Broward County or Palm Beach? You bet. And you raise a great point, Tony, because to be election fraud, it has to have, by legal standards, lawyers tell me, an, an intent to commit that fraud. However, you can certainly break election law uh, and, and not have it be necessarily fraud. And even the breaking of election law, for example, the supervisor here in Broward County, Brenda Decker, Brenda Snipes, failed to comply uh, with, with the deadlines of reporting the number of ballots, failed to account for a total number of ballots she said was unaccounted for. These are glaring uh, failures to comply with Florida election law, and at the very minimum, that certainly undermines uh, Floridians' confidence in the electoral process. Griff Jenkins, Fox News. Um, I, I only hope you get some time to surf. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. You know, listen, I didn't get any time to surf, but uh, I have taken at least five minutes to jump in the ocean and clear my head because processing this stuff is confusing not only for uh, – uh, dim-witted reporters for Fox News like myself, but also the election lawyers will tell you 
this is complicated stuff. Griff, I appreciate you. Go enjoy. We'll catch you up with you. Hopefully check in later in the week and see how things are going. I have so many more things to get into, including, hey, uh, there, there are still missiles in North Korea because it turns out you can't trust Kim Jong-un because he's, uh, he's Kim Jong-un. That's all coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So right now, every uh, city that didn't get the Amazon deal, I think is uh, breathing a sigh of relief. You know, uh, my, my beloved Indianapolis, one of the questions I got asked is, uh, did anyone think Indy had a realistic chance of landing, landing Amazon? And K Woods 04 uh, says, I didn't. Now, I will tell you that, yes, based on what Amazon was discussing, which is wanting, you know, quality of life and, you know, making sure their employees are taken care of. Yes, Indianapolis is the capital of the Midwest, 100%. I mean, if you're not built, moving a business here, if you're not moving a business to the Midwest, you don't make any sense to me. This is where you go to grow things. Of course, Amazon, they went to Crystal City, Virginia, which is between Arlington and Alexandria. So if you ever have gone and flown uh, to Reagan National Airport, right there. Right there is is, is where you go. Uh, it's, it, it's exactly that spot. Uh, and then uh, they went to basically Queens. They went to Manhattan. They went to New York, I should say, because uh, uh, Queens is not Manhattan, uh, to, to put the other one. So they're split the con- the, it up into two places, and they're going to both places. Well, already people are realizing the deals that were done to make Amazon bring Amazon in and they're like oh hell no there was one report that for New York residents it's $48,000 per just huge amounts of giveaways that were done just absolutely positively huge uh it's um Jim Garrity writing at National Review, Virginia gives away the store to Amazon. The state of Virginia is giving Amazon more than half a billion dollars, $573 million based on the company creating 25,000 jobs with an average wage of over $150,000 in Arlington. Workforce cash grant from the Commonwealth of up to $550 million is based on $22,000 for each job created over the next 12 years. They only get the incentive if it creates the high-paying jobs, and the company will also get a cash grant from Arlington, from the city of $23 million over 15 years, based on the incremental growth of the existing local transient occupancy tax, which is a tax on hotel rooms. So as Garrity points out, Arlington is raising taxes in order to pay Amazon to locate there. Why? Because it's good for the economy. What's good for the economy is economic policies that are good for the economy, and then people should come. This is the argument against public financing for state for stadiums. This is the argument against. And and right now they're gonna they're gonna win that argument. Oh, that's a lot. So did in in our in Indiana in Indianapolis, did we dodge a bullet? To an extent. Um the argument that 
by being on the short list, because we were in the top 20 here, that being on the short list is the win is maybe the one of only like three things I've ever agreed with the mayor of Indianapolis about. Uh, because, well, that guy's a, that's a, that's a mess. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a mess. But he had put out that statement right from the beginning that, listen, we're in the top 20. This is huge. And we should treat it as such. And he was, he was absolutely right about that. But uh, again, Indianapolis, uh, it, the, the, whole, the whole of the Midwest. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty to do in New York. And it's like no place else in the world. And there's plenty to do in D.C. And there's, it's like no place else in the world. Unless, of course, after doing all those things, you want to go home. And then you realize you can't afford the home. Can't be done. It's an outrageous cost of living in both places. So even if the average salary of the of of the high wages is $150,000 in a place that taxes you 50% and like if you have any level of family whatsoever, I I people always get on me for this where I'm like, "Listen, the money goes quick." Don't don't think that that don't think 150,000 a year is rich. That's not, not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And then people like producer Ari are like, oh, Tony. Oh, Tony. If you have no idea, Tony. You have no idea. If you're living in a place where the tax rate is going to put you, give or take, at 50%, it's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot off the top. It's a lot off the top. And never mind what that housing is going to be twice what it would be in, a, in many places uh, across the Midwest. And, 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 and we have better looking women. We have better looking women. I'm just, I'm just saying, these are, these are the facts as presented. What, was that sexist? Don't care. Don't care. I'm cool with it. I am very cool with it. Uh, there are still missiles in North Korea. Uh, you, you think I would make something like this up? You think I can make up that there are still missiles in North Korea? Of course there are still missiles in North Korea. What, what, what? Well, it turns out that Kim Jong-un is a lion liar face from Liarsville. And, sa- oh, it's a totally real place. It's right next to Sheboygan. And the, these people in North Korea, which means Kim Jong-un, there have been identified a dozen undeclared North Korean missile operating bases. There. There should never have been a doubt. We discussed it here, so I feel very, very confident in this. There should never have been a doubt that Kim Jong-un could not be trusted. Well, he's a liar. He comes from a history of liars. The whole family are liars. This is what they do. And yes, he lied to Donald Trump. What happened? Nothing happened. It's Kim Jong-un. Now, the question is, does Donald Trump know it? We're getting this information. Did, did, did they have this information? Just move them down the line and move them down the line and see where this can all go. I think very much that was President Trump's entire plan. Let's see where it goes. Nothing else is working. Let's try this. Let's see what happens. And if it doesn't happen, I'll do what I'm going to have to do anyway, which I have always stated is going to be some type of military operation. There is going to be some kind of of a military movement. Right? Let me let me try and break down how this is going to work at the first before we get to that. 
President Trump is going to say, uh, yeah, look, uh, we know you got missiles. And Kim Jong-un is going to say, uh, hey, oh, oh, don't talk to me like that. We're not going to take your American aggression. And then Trump's going to say, excuse me while I whip this out. And then it's start going to start getting nasty. That's how it's going to go. That's how it's going to go. Stan Lee passes away at the age of 95. Excelsior. Now, I have heard some people say, you know what? He was a thief. He stole his, all his ideas. I have heard some people say he is literally the voice of my childhood. The movies are fun. I was never a big comic book guy, but the movies are, are, are fun. You know? It's great, good time. People enjoy it. Made some people happy. Certainly made a lot of people a lot of money. <laughs> How much is, has Marvel made? $210 billion off of off of the franchise? Oh, the movies. The movies has made $21 billion, not $210 billion. Sorry. $21 billion. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's pretty good for inventing a character who thinks he's a spider. You got to admit, that's... That's, a, that's an only in America story right there. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.